St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion a sermon from another Wells Sister Church. Today's sermon is sponsored by Pure Dehydrated Water. Dehydrated water. You'll feel like you're carrying nothing but air when you fill your water jugs with our specially formulated Pure H2O. If you enjoy what you hear today, you might also enjoy our weekday devotions, which you will automatically get if you subscribe to this podcast. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in this same podcast app that you're listening to right now. I've tried to make the link to it obvious. Let me know if it isn't at john.kirk at stmarksbemidji.org. Share God's word, because God wants us all to come to be with him forever. Today's sermon is from our sister congregation in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. It's titled, Let Them Grow and is based on a reading from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. We hear just a section from our gospel lesson. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull the weeds out? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together. So far the word. Enemies in farmers' fields. Where have we heard that before? This has happened before in the scriptures. Oh yeah, that's right. There was a guy who was pretty ingenious with violence. You, you get the impression he liked violence. And he took 300 foxes, tied them together in pairs, put a torch between each pair, and lit the torch on fire, and put those foxes loose in the fields of the Philistines. Remember that guy? Shimshon, as the Hebrews called him. Samson. Pretty ingenious. The Philistines, and I'm not trying to confuse the issue, they were the bad guys, but the Philistines might have thought of Samson as the bad guy for what he did to their fields, their agricultural economy, probably took quite a hit. And here we are again. An enemy in the fields. And here we are again, Jesus telling another agricultural parable. Apparently, we need to be reminded of things. In fact, right at the beginning of the book of Jude, how often do we hear from that book? It says, and I quote, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you. The author knew the people had heard this before. And then you look at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, after the resurrected Lord had shown himself alive. He had defeated death itself. It says the disciples were overjoyed, but some still doubted. They still doubted. Apparently, we need to be reminded of the same things. I'm willing to say there are a few exceptional people. I am not one of them. A few exceptional people in the world who do not need such reminders, who will learn the scriptures and dig into the scriptures on their own. But the majority of us, no. We need reminders from God, and he gives them. And one of the reminders is right here toward the end of our lesson, and it is about the end. That it's real. Can you imagine the carnage? And I will highlight just 
the concept of the entire city of Minneapolis, all the blood and sweat and tears that have gone into building this massive city, and it will disintegrate in moments, gone. How can we even begin to understand this? Much less what will happen in the destruction beyond just one city. But God gives us not just this promise and reminder, the end will come. He keeps saying that, but he also says, I will give you, dear daughters and sons, I will give you minds that look at that day and that carnage and say, Lord, bring it. A miracle. That is. So today, our reminders are needed, and God gives us this reminder that it is the Lord himself who is the one who says, let them both grow together. The enemy. Apparently, this enemy in the parable that we see only works at night. That's what I saw. And we know who this enemy is. This is Satan. Let's just cut right to the chase. But we know... This is not Satan. He doesn't choose to work only at night. But does he have a strategy that he does stick with? Yes. And I will highlight it in this way. Let me ask you this question. What is the bigger threat to our national security for the United States of America? Is it a team of terrorists who plow jets into skyscrapers? That is a great danger. Don't get me wrong. Or is it... Those people who are enemies of the state but become congresswomen and congressmen and senators and take over the halls of government and then eventually turn our government upside down. I'm not going to argue the point and say there's one right answer to that, but Satan has made his choice. He chooses most of the time to hide his work. He has chosen a strategy. We see it. Because God has shown us. Now notice though, what was the result of this enemy's work in the field? The harvesters, who are the angels, again let's skip right to the chase, the angels apparently do not know everything. Even those mighty cherubim who are shown with eyes all around, which gives the lesson that they see way more than we do. They cannot see all. Even they are oblivious to some things some of those demonic acts, some of those temptations with which the devil hits the people of God. But God is the one who sees everything. And in fact, it would be inaccurate if I said only that. God foresees every temptation, and he tells his angels at times, part ranks, and allow this attack to hit my daughter, my son. Why? Is the question that this lesson puts before us. Why does he do this? Before we fully answer that, I want to look at something else from this strategy of the devil. One of the great strategies of the devil is he, and this doesn't take much imagination, we have a sinful nature that takes him with him. The devil would say, well, you know who I am. I'm the bad guy. That's what God says in the Bible. But you know what? God is too. He just hides it. He just doesn't want to be honest. He is the one, not me, who says, go ahead, let the unbeliever and the believer grow side by side, even though God knows that unbelievers will damage the believers. God's the one who says that, not the devil. 
Well, have you ever heard, when we come to this difficult question, have you ever heard of a survivalist? We tend to mock them. I knew a new guy in Iowa. He a retired U.S. Marshal. He still trains people, federal agents. But he has weapons that you, the average citizen cannot have. He has food and everything else and rations underground in a bunker in his backyard, which is sizable. And one time one of my members asked him, don't your neighbors all know about this? What if they ever, like, snoop around or try to take something? And he just kind of calmly, quietly said, they'll get in, but they will never get back out. And my, the member didn't ask any more questions. The guy seemed very sure. There was something to do with the door, the vault, that people couldn't get back out once they get back in. I'm not going to further go down that rabbit hole, but I would submit to you the opposite of a survivalist is a normalist. One who says something like this, Oh, let's eat and drink, let's marry and be given in marriage, because everything goes on as it always has and always will. Jesus speaks to that attitude, doesn't he? That everything is fine and always will be fine. And we look at the unbelief. They're growing together with us. We don't like to admit this, but they're in our congregations. They can be. We certainly don't like to admit this, even in our heart of hearts. They can be in our own families. And God is the one who says, let this happen. But the normalist is one who says, you know what, Lord? And the psalmist backs us up on this. David complains about this to God. The unbeliever just lives, and they don't just live. They seem to thrive in this world. They don't just grow, they thrive. And we Christians, we have difficulties and pains the unbelievers and others never have. So what? The answer. The scriptures give us more than one answer and word it in different ways. I'll just give one. Have you ever seen an astronaut come down after being weeks in outer space, and they just pop right out of that capsule, right, and they just walk over to the Jeep? Is that how it works? If they've been up there for weeks, they have to have people get under their arms and carry them to the Jeep. Muscles need something to resist. Well, we might say, no, good, Pastor, let's all go up in outer space then and live a life where we don't have to exert ourselves at all. That's the answer. No. Muscles need exercise, and so do our souls. Now, I might say, and put somebody on the spot, or say, somebody raise your hand. You don't have to do that. But I can say, somebody raise your hand. Who wants to volunteer first to be the first one to undergo some soul training by God? And I'll be generous. I'll say, you go ahead and raise your hands first. Let's go ahead. Go ahead. No one wants to be the first, because we know what that soul training entails. A lot of you have gone through a lot of it already. We would never choose a day in which our soul is trained, so God chooses them for us and says, here's that word, trust me, you actually need it. The problem is not with God. There's the answer you, Pastor Albert, was going to say, God is not the enemy, as the devil says. The problem is with us, where we look at the unbeliever who thrives, and we say in our heart, I don't like the fact, God, that you love people that I don't. 
Don't say that, Pastor. We love all people. We're Christian. But therein lies the heart of the problem. God loves people that we do not. And so he gives them time. You know, I'm glad that we get the dirty laundry aired of the soon-to-be apostles because I'm going to highlight some dirty laundry for you here. It's not going to sound so bad, so see if you can catch it. Then Jesus left the crowd and he went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Do you see? God put the dirty laundry of his apostles, which is these guys, not asking Jesus, kind of pulling him aside while amongst the crowds. No, they make sure to go into the house first. I can just imagine these guys while Jesus was talking, sagely nodding and going, ah, oh, excellent point, Jesus, excellent. And they have no idea who he's talking about. So they wait until they're in the house and then privately say, hey, what are you talking about? I'm going to submit to you, here's a little commercial right in the middle of the sermon. Maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest reasons people don't do Bible study, whether at home or with others, is because they don't want their ignorance showing. Well, guess what? You'll be in good company. Come to Bible study because you're going to get to see some of pastor's ignorance showing. Iron sharpens iron. That's how it works. And I don't just sharpen you. That's not how it works. You also sharpen me and remind me of things. And we grow together as Christians. So come, when the time comes. But God is the one who said, yes, let both grow together until the end. And what does he want his sons doing until the end? And yes, I purposely chose the older NIV because it says the son. I'll explain why in a moment. But what are the sons and daughters of God to be doing? Going around and telling people, God's going to get you, you weeds. God's going to get you. Is it true? Yeah. Is that how we win hearts and minds? No way. There is a time and a place for the law of God, to be sure. But the sons and daughters of the king go about saying something like this after this happens. What does a mom or dad feel? Can we even describe it with human language? What does a mom or dad feel when a daughter or a son says in anger, I hate you. Sometimes you might want to take a seat as a mom or dad after those words hit. I hope it never happens to you. Or when as they're walking out, and you know what, mom and dad, I hate this magic Jesus of yours as well. Then you really might need to take a seat. What do you feel in your gut? I want you back. Daughter, son. Don't go. Don't go from God. Come back. What does God feel? When he sees millions of sons and daughters who in history have walked away. And now he sends us and he gives us the highest of praise when he calls the daughters and sons of Kim the seed that brings life in the world. If you could look at the globe, every place he puts a Christian, his intent is life sprouting from that point. This is what he wants. His sons and daughters to say, 
don't know. Come now. And yes, then the end will come. The sons of the evil one and the daughters of the evil one. That's why I chose this older version of the NIV, because yes, they become, by their choices, sons and daughters of Satan. And yet God still dies. And he still recklessly casts out the seed of his sons and daughters and says, go, try again. Speak to them. See what you can do. Because Jesus says, the fiery furnace is real. And have you ever noticed the pattern of how Jesus speaks of the fiery furnace? He's very quick. He'll give one or two quick sentences and then he'll move on. I think the reason for that, this is pastor's guess, is because our minds shut down because hell is so horrific that our minds just say, whatever, I can't even handle this concept. So God just keeps repeatedly coming back, very quickly describing it, and then going away from it. Why? Because it's permanent. God is everywhere. God is in all places, even in a maximum security prison known as hell that he created specifically for the devil and his angels. That's what the scriptures say. But those who by their life choose a world where there is no mercy and no love of God, God says, okay, by default, there is only one other place. I give you the world you want. Because it's permanent. Are we surprised that God presents and gives a permanent solution that is total? And that's why he says to his angels, wait, because at the end, it will be a total redemption. So don't get the impression when God tells the servants to wait at the beginning, oh, don't do that, because the, the wheat will be hurt and rooted up. Like the angels are so reckless, they might actually send somebody to hell. Sorry, missed that. No. It's because, as the book of Malachi says, not a root or a branch will be left to them. And then he says, and I quote, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught together with them in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air. That's not about us being Superman. That's Jesus removing us from ground zero. There will be no safe place except in the kingdom. So, both grow together. For now. It's true. And until such time that God is appointed as the end, they will continue to grow together. So tell me, how do you feel when you see a big old thistle in your backyard? It's small yet, it's small, but no, just wait, just let it grow. How do you feel as a gardener when you watch that thing get bigger and stronger, and now you know the web under the ground, it's going to come up somewhere else? How do you feel? How do you feel as a father or a mother? in a playground where your kid actually didn't do something wrong this time, and another kid starts pounding on them. As a dad or a mom, you're okay? What's that instant, visceral reaction in your gut? Right? How is it for God to say, no, wait, hold? It must be torture. I tried carefully here but in a way beyond understanding a grief that we human beings cannot understand as he waits for the redemption. In order for us all, this is his goal, even though some walk away, for us to shine. 
a time when God will finally say to the bullies who have been beating up on his church and his people, his daughters and sons, that's it. No more. And then, those who are with God will show <coughs> I really don't care if we are sparkly in heaven and glow. That's for God to do for us, if that's literally how we will appear. I don't care. Maybe that sounds bad. But this is what I do care about. In the meantime, that God is giving us his clarity, his light here, so that we actually understand, not perfectly, but better, who are the bad guys? That's right, the sons and daughters of Satan. Who are the good guys? The sons and daughters of God. He has given us that light. So that there will be no more darkness, ignorance here. No more isolation. No more loneliness. Simply with the Father. You will be. Sons and daughters of the King. There is no greater joy. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. Our church services are live-streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. You can also search for St. Mark Bemidji on YouTube to find our channel. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarkbemidji.org. All scripture readings are taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 2011, and are used by permission from Zondervan. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day. Hey there, parents. Are you on the lookout for a fantastic school in the Bemidji area that embraces Christian values? Well, look no further. Introducing St. Mark's Christian Day School, where education meets faith in an extraordinary way. At St. Mark's, we get it. We understand that your child's education should be rooted in God, compassion, and unwavering faith. Our experienced team of dedicated educators are here to provide a top-notch education to students in grades K-8 through that nourishes the mind, heart, and soul. With small class sizes and a personalized approach, we create a safe and dynamic environment where your child can explore the God-given talents and excel academically. Our teachers integrate biblical principles throughout the day, ensuring your child grows into a compassionate and morally grounded individual. Our students are also able to participate in extracurricular activities with the Bemidji School District. For more information about St. Mark's Day School, call John at 218-444-3939 or at principal at stmarksbemidji.org.